Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Welcome back to the number one MLB podcast on the internet. You already know who it is. James, Let's say go. hello to them. Let's, Let's go. go. Let's, Let's go. do this. Let's go. Today, we are clearing up some last Q&A questions. Don't forget, at the end of the episode, check our little bio. I dropped the link in there. Drop more questions. We love doing these things. But we're just going to finish up some of our last Q&A and then talk some ball. So, James, if you're ready to get started, I'm Let's ready to fill out the questions. Let's go. So, I'm the last happy. question that we didn't go over from last time in our last Q&A was someone put in, can you please talk about why you don't worry too much about players who have high strikeouts. So I, I want to, you know, preface this by saying I do worry about. You do players. worry. <laughs> uh, uh, but it depends because there are different approaches. Um, so, for instance, if you have a patient approach, right, um, and you're walking a lot, you're working a lot of deep counts, and you're striking out a ton, right, even with power both in play and out of play, I get a little worried there because with that type of approach, you're working the count to get to hittable pitches. You're working the count to get to hittable pitches and you're striking out a lot. Mm -hmm. So what happens when the bat speed goes and naturally that type of approach, you, instead of fouling off pitches, you're, you're just swinging and missing because instead of hitting the pitch this much, you're hitting the pitch. Not at all. <laughs> um, so what ends up happening is the strikeouts go up and the walks go down. And then the strikeouts are from a high level, but manageable with the amount of hard contact to unmanageable. And then you're not also working to the point in the count where you're going to be getting as many pitches that you can drive. So your power numbers are going to go down and specifically your power numbers on hard to hit pitches are going to go down. Um, which means, you know, most of the time when a patient hitter is successful against a very hard to hit pitch, it's usually not out of the ballpark, you know, double or something like that. So what you'll end up seeing is you will see a drop in, in, in power for sure. But I think they'll become almost more of like a, uh, a hitter who derives the majority of their batted ball success from what goes over the fence. Um, and then, of course, you know, you get to a point where the strikeouts are unmanageable. The hitter's still trying to be patient to get to, you know, more power, right? And, you know, because this, this conversion has gone on for quite some time, you know, the, the success rate, like I said, on, on balls in play is not as much. But then, eventually, the success rate on balls out of play won't be as much either. Um, now, of course, there's all sorts of different things that a hitter can do to fight against aging. Does that mean they all do it? No. I mean, um, there's plenty of people where it, it, it's gotten to a point with their decline that I don't know how they'd be able to reverse it. Like Matt Carpenter, it's just worse every single year, every single year. There's no way that he can't be aware of it. And yet it still goes on. It's been going on for like 10 years now. Um, like since his third year in the league, something like that. He has um, to be aware of it. Yeah, he has to, he abs absolutely has to be aware of it. So um, but there are things that certain hitters who have certain skills can do uh, with those skills to maximize them. 
Um, it's kind of like I was talking to uh, one of my friends the other day and I, we talked about the idea of clutch and I was like, certainly players can, you know, dial into what is known as flow state or the zone in baseball, dial into the zone, slow things down to become clutch, but it helps having the skills to make you successful in those situations because then that is a repeated action. You become in the flow state and be able to be productive in the flow state more often because you have the skills to go along with it. And that allows you a familiarity with the flow state, which allows you to tap into it more often. So it's an interesting concept with regards to thinking about clutch. Um, and that certainly ties into approach as well. <clears throat> but with, uh, with regards to strikeouts, it's much more concerning a high level of strikeouts when there's a high level of walks. Because when the bat speed goes, those walks are going to go into the strikeouts, uh, you know, fouling off, foul off pitches. Mm -hmm. I think that's that that's probably as clear as I can explain that part of the concept. The other side of it is this: if you have a guy like Baez, a, a guy who's swinging at everything all the time, and yet they're still able to maintain a success rate around league average, sometimes above league average in terms of WRC plus. Uh, so when, when you hear me saying, you know, league average, above league average, below league average, WRC plus is what I'm talking about. Uh, but you look at a guy like Bias, he's always able to remain right around league average there or a little bit above there, uh, despite the fact that the strikeouts are as high as they are and they get higher seemingly every single year. At some point, it's not going to be sustainable and it's going to knock him back into only having to use the strike zone with what he swings at. Um, for him, though, being a guy who is nonetheless successful, swinging at all that he swings at, it doesn't disturb me that much because he hasn't gotten to the point where he can't hit those. He's hitting those pitches enough that he's able to be a successful hitter. Once he's not able to hit pitches in the other batter's box and it forces him to have to pick out strikes, foul pitches off, maybe be a little bit more selective, with what pitches he swings at, Baez has some of the best swing mechanics in the game. That's why he's able to hit all those pitches. So what's, what Baez will be at that point, once he makes that conversion, might take a season, might take two seasons. But once it happens, the walks are going to go through the roof. The power is going to go through the roof. Um, I don't think immediately there's going to be a lot of ways to get him out, mainly because it's going to be a new approach and it's going to be from going from hitting everything to just hitting anything that could be a strike. So it'll be a little bit easier. I almost think um, for him to drive the ball, but um, you know, I think that's probably why I like bias so much is that with his bat speed and his swing mechanics, it's going to be a few years after he adapts a patient approach for, I think pitchers to find a way to get him out unless, unless, the way to get those players who make that type of adjustment in their career out is to just vary timing, fastball change up and, and things like that, which is an interesting concept that that's your way of getting those types of guys out. But I don't know. I think guys who have that fundamental of a swing, they'll probably find a way to be able to adjust to that as well. So um, specifically that is why I am not, worried about players who strike out who are aggressive if they're being successful 
if they're performing if they're consistently good. successful, if they're consistently, then being aggressive is even better. I mean, you put a guy who's aggressive in a lineup with lineup protection because they're being aggressive, any of the extra pitches that they would get to hit, they're not going to miss. That's how they are. They get a pitch to hit in the zone or not in the zone, and they're swinging at it because it's a pitch they see to hit. And if you're able to perform at league average or above league average with that kind of approach, you get them lineup protection, maybe put them in a, put a guy like that in a ballpark that's going to help them, be it Yankee Stadium if you're a lefty, be it Fenway if you're a righty, or, you know, we could go around all sorts of teams, Colorado. Um, there's all sorts of different little factors that you can add together um, to be able to figure out how players could perform in different environments. And that's fun to think about. But I like to almost think about it the other way around, which is if you put every player in the optimal environment, which players would do the best? If every player was in the best environment for themselves, which players would do the best? And I think that's how you really figure out who the best guys are. If that makes sense. And I think that that's, probably, that's probably as comprehensively as I can answer that question with a, a couple of other interesting facts around mm-hmm. it um but yeah that that's that's about my answer for that question um and i especially don't like lineups that have a lot of guys who strike out in them mm-hmm. um i think you know as we've seen with the yankees and as as we've seen with uh when the braves had the upton brothers playing for them uh having too many guys that strike out it it, it it's hot and cold it makes the team hot and cold and um I don't think that that's a good way to win over a full year. I don't think it's sustainable because the cold is um, like, look, if you have a couple of players on your team that are hot and cold, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a couple of guys who do that one or two, not three, one or two. When everything else is not functioning the way it should, those types of guys that can put your team on your back and, and carry them for a few weeks at a time. But when those guys are not performing, I mean, they're really not performing. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, if you have a guy who's hot and cold and hot and cold, ideally they should add other things to the skill set. Like be a good defender, be a good base runner, be a lefty so you hit righties, you know, whatever it ends up being. But um, routinely, um, you know, you'll find guys who who don't give you that. So, um, but yeah, I don't want to get too much into that. That's 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 my answer. That's my answer. Okay, that that's my answer to the the strikeout question. You don't want to have too many people who strike out in your lineup. Ideally, you have guys who, if they strike out, are aggressive, um, and if they are if they strike out and they're patient, hopefully you don't have them through like age 35, 36, mm-hmm. um, because things could get bad at that point. But if you have them for their prime while they're uh, doing that, that's fine. But again, don't go with a whole lineup of these guys. Even if they're all aggressive and they're all striking out at, at, a, at a high rate, I still am not okay with that. You do not want a ton of strikeouts in your lineup, point blank. I agree. I mean, I totally agree. So but that's my answer to that. Other, other than that, James, let's just take a few minutes. Let's talk ball. Yeah. What's going on? Well, we got the Texas Rangers Yankees game on here Um, and similar to Baltimore, you know, the Yankees should in theory 
be walking all over the Rangers. You know, mm-hmm. Baltimore and the Rangers are two of the bottom teams in baseball, two of the worst teams in the entire league. And once again, it's a close game. Like, uh, I mean, it it's zero really, zero. Is it still zero zero right now? Let me check. It's one zero. It's, it's one zero. zero. Uh, the Yankees are winning by one run. Um, and, you know, again, it should like, I should give credit where credit's due. The Rangers have Dane Dunning pitching, mm-hmm. top prospect. Um, he's got a good breaking ball. The Yankees aren't very familiar with him. Those types of guys, the Yankees don't hit very well against. Um, eh, maybe they'll do well against the pen. That's probably what ends up happening here. Mm-hmm. The pen will come in, you know, wipe them out. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. We were talking, oh, is that a homer? Oh, that's a dinger. Uh-oh. Oh, that's a dinger. Let's go, baby. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> Let's go. go. Up that trade value, Stanton. Up the trade value. <laughs> Up it. Up it. Boone, you better start playing him in the outfield. He'll hit more. Yeah, it's too late anyways. Um, I've, I've given up on the season. <laughs> I've given up on the season. I'm just having fun. I'm just enjoying. You got to. But that's a, good, that's a good attitude to have. There, I've known so many so many fans that just like get so annoyed and so like angry towards the end of the season instead of having fun. So that's the kind of attitude you got to bring. You know what I mean? Well, for me, it's like, you know, I, I, I grew up watching. Okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm 29 years old. So mm-hmm. I'm born in 92, you know, 96, I was four years old. Um, 98, you know, a lot of these years, I didn't remember them, okay? 99, uh, 2000, uh, my first year that I really concretely remember the end of it, 2001. And I think that's when I, I really officially became a fan. Mm-hmm. Cried my eyes out. Cried my eyes out when the, the Diamondbacks, you know, whooped us in mm-hmm. the World Series. Um, and then the next year comes around and I'm like, wow, the Yankees don't even come close to the world series, you know, this is, this is not good. You know, there needs to be some serious course correction. You know, little did I know that like, why, why should anyone expect their, their baseball team to be in the world series every year? You know, when you're a kid and you see it that much, you're naive and you get tricked and it's a nice little feeling that no one else will ever be able to experience. You know, the, the, you know, you know the Yankee fans know this who were born in that period of time that like, we only notice now how like privileged we are, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but uh, I digress, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, I, was tra- I was tracing this back to when I became like a fan, when I really got into it. Yeah. Um, it, it must've been 2000 and <clears throat> 2004, then the, you know, 2003, the Marlins whooped us. 2004, the Red Sox whooped us. 2000 five was an ugly year 2006 was an ugly year 2007 was a very ugly year 2008 was an ugly year um 2009 they won the world series it was amazing 2010 mistakes were made 2011 mistakes were made 2012 again another really good team but people got injured near the end and it never ended up really coming together um which was unfortunate but it happens but then 2013 happens, 2014 happens, and um, they don't do 
anything in those years. Terrible Yankees teams in those years. And then, you know, you have 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, everything starts to come together. And they, I think they had the balance to win a World Series. And um, what ended up happening was um, the Astros did what they did, cheating Astros. It's always yeah, going to catch every, every episode. Every episode. There's not every episode, every live stream. It just never, we, we never get past. I think there was only one in the history of this podcast. There's only been one episode where you did not mention it. And the second we stopped recording, I was like, you forgot to mention the Astro. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but, you know, it's interesting with, with this lineup, right? The, mm-hmm. the lineup that the Yankees have right now, it's very reminiscent of a lot of the lineups that the Yankees had um, between the years of like 2002 and like 2008. Um, it's just a whole bunch of power hitters, a lot of flaws, a lot of strikeout, a lot of issues with the team. And I just, you know, it's a little bit maddening for me. Why? Because they had the right manager, mm-hmm. okay? They had the right balance. They had all of the, the right young players coming through their system. They had players developing at the big league level. Mm-hmm. And uh, they ruined it. Like, that. there's no – there's not a lot of ways around it. And um, if, if that's just the truth of the matter, that, you know, the contention window – was kind of crushed Boone being probably part of it. Um, but also like, you know, not having the right balance team, like having way too many strikeouts, having a lot of these issues. Right. I think, you know, a pessimistic fan is getting all angry right now. Mm-hmm. A pessimistic fan is looking at things right now and they're getting heated. And for me, I, I look at Yankee fans who, who get heated and are upset about how everything is going right now. And I'm just like, I think we need to really refigure out how to look at a baseball team because we're not going to go to a world series every single year. And if this team is going to get to that point in time where they're winning world series, we need to understand what that looks like. A world series winning team looks like the Dodgers right now. That's what a world series winner looks like. They have speed, they have average, they have power, they've lefties, they have righties, they have pitching, they have dynamic pitching. They have multiple aces. Um, they have depth. They have people that they can trade to improve their team. That's that's what you want to have. Um, the Yankees right now, to me, look a little bit behind that point, a couple of steps behind that point. And they look like they're trying to compete at that point. You know, guys like having LeMahieu here, having Stanton here, um, you know, like Britain – and, and Chapman, I mean, all of these, you know, and then go, going out and getting Cole, having Judge, like, I think a lot of this gave the appearance that the Yankees are a juggernaut now. And I think that if we're being truthful, Torres hasn't developed yet. If we're being truthful, Sanchez hasn't come around and, and gotten to his prime yet. Florial, he's a couple of years away, but his prime is going to coincide with both Sanchez and Torres. Um, Luke Voigt probably has six more middle of the order seasons in him. He's age 30, um, maybe five more. 
at minimum four more. Uh, Hicks is under contract for a little bit, and I know he's the oldest of the entire group. He's 32. Uh, I see him being effective until probably 34, 35. So a couple more years out of him, uh, especially because he gives the team a lot of the issues. Uh, uh, he fills he fills a lot of the issues. He fixes a lot of them. Same thing with Odor. Both of them are fantastic balancing pieces. Um, but, you know, moving around the roster, Dominguez, you're going to want him up and contributing by the time, you know, this next championship comes around. Um, you know, the door is not entirely closed on Frazier. And the door is not entirely closed on Andahal. Um, if either of those guys pan out, that's another guy whose prime is going to be within those years. Um, I think Tyone, his best years are going to be within those years. I think Cole's still going to be an ace within all of those years. I think Montgomery's best years are going to be within those years. I think most of the people that are going to be bullpen arms or could be bullpen arms for the Yankees, once, you know, Britain moves on, <clears throat> once Green moves on, once Chapman moves on, most of those guys are going to peak within those years as well. So as Yankee fans, you know, it, it, it may suck to hear this, but you may have to understand that this team is still growing and coming together, figuring out who they are. And um, it might take a little bit. I, I, I trust Cashman to not trade the wrong people. Um, like I'll give an example, you know, I thought even Didi getting traded was a bad idea. I thought it was a bad, bad idea. But if you look at what Didi's done since he's left, he can't hit, and he's the worst defensive player at shortstop in the major leagues. Now, given his you know, swing and given that he's a lefty and given that you know, in his past uh, he'd swing at everything and he'd make a high level of contact and he'd do very well because balls would come off his bat at just the right angles. I think that if he decides to maybe play a less demanding position where he can focus more on putting on muscle and becoming, you know, the hitter he used to be, I think the defense gets better. I think he'd be a better de uh, defender in the outfield. I think he'd be a, like a much better defender in the outfield. I think he'd be a much better defender at third or at second. Um, the outfield lets him concentrate the most on the bat though. If you don't think that the bat's going to come, come forward unless he's really focusing on it, make him a center fielder. Um, I've always believed in, in his tools, in his swing, in him. Um, so I think Didi, you know, Didi in a few years, yeah, he'll get it all together within you know, the next couple of years, 100%. Um, but if you looked at when the Yankees got rid of him, it coincided right with his drop-off. And I think that that's the case with a lot of the people that the Yankees have kind of gotten rid of over the ages. There's not a lot of people who the Yankees have gotten rid of who've been better after they've left. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think if, if the Yankees can make sure that they can bring back Sanchez and, you know, at least get judge or yeah, yeah, yeah. Get judge when he's a free agent and um, resign him. Then uh, I think that I feel comfortable with this team moving forward. A lot of people can walk from this team as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, um, I, I think that um, 
the best way to be is to be looking forward and being optimistic mm-hmm. about things. And as optimistic as I can be is that the Yankees have a lot of pieces for the future and they have a lot of trade chips to put them in a position where they maybe could be where the Dodgers are. Um, but the Yankees have to be smart with their trade chips. Like Stanton's worked back a lot of value. Um, you know, if you're going to try and trade anything like that, you're going to have to have a lot of guys in the trade who aren't being paid very much at all, but are really talented and are, are under contract long-term to offset somebody like Stanton's salary. I think it'll have to be multiple players, uh, but Stanton really has proved that he's the same guy. Same guy he was in Miami. Health, not really an issue. Good corner outfield defense. Teams should want him. Uh, I'd, I'd understand being wary of the price, and I'd understand being wary of him, you know, for the ages that he's going to be under contract. But that's why, you know, you get a guy in the deal who is under contract for not very much, who's under contract for many years, and who's really talented because it offsets Stanton. Um, that's a deal that has to happen. I think you probably should package Chapman and Green into the same trade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Billet is fixing up someone's bullpen. Someone will be like, oh, yeah, heck yeah. I'll take two really good relievers. One of them being, you know, a risk, Chapman, under contract only for one more year. But that's the, that, that dissipates the risk. It's only one year under contract. And then the other one, Green, I believe he's under contract for two years, I think. So you have a little bit longer with him, but he's also a little bit more proven to be consistent recently than Chapman has. Um, but yeah, definitely a team would be interested in like two stud relievers, one righty, one lefty, both of them strike a bunch of guys out. Um, so that's another trade. So you have the Stanton one, you have that one. Maybe you package Gallo and Urshela together as a left side fixed trade. There's going to be teams that would love that given the defense of Urshela and, Urshela and Gallo. And given the fact that, you know, their, their skills complement each other, Urshela aggressive, Gallo patient, Urshela contact skills, all fields hitter, uh, Gallo pull power patient walks a bunch. Um, you know, like I said, Urshela lefty, Gallo righty. Um, and then also Gallo is a good base runner uh, for, for Urshela's singles. So they complement each other there. They're both phenomenal defenders. Like, I don't know if I'm a team and I don't have a left fielder and I don't have a third baseman and that's being offered. That's my number one. I go right after that. Um, And then the fourth trade, and this one's going to be a little bit hard to stomach, but the Yankees have done trades like this before. And frankly, there's going to need, there's going to need to be more room in the outfield. The Yankees are going to need to give Florial at bats, Frazier on if they can get the at bats, Hicks will be back. Gardner's only effective if he plays every day, and that will allow him to be effective in the second half of the season. Um, I think the Yankees have to do something really extreme here, and I wouldn't say this unless, like, I really fully believe that the Yankees can absolutely re-sign him off of free agency is I think they have to pull a Chapman, which you know, they, had, they had Chapman, and then they traded him to the Cubs for Glaber Torres, and then they re-signed Chapman in the offseason. I think that's what you're going to have to do with Aaron Judge. Judge is a superstar. Judge is a as good as they get, really, type player. You could get a ton in a trade with him. You package him with someone like Austin Wells or or some minor leaguer, you know. You can get a ton in return for him. And then when he hits free agency in a year, you just go out and re-sign him. You go give him that contract. 
and you might end up with two players rather than one. So um, I think these are drastic moves. These are four separate trades that the Yankees have to really think about executing on. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of the trades could, could fill a lot of the issues, you know, that the Yankees have. Um, so I think the only way to think about things moving forward is instead of be like, oh, it all fell apart. It didn't work. Da, 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 is, well, this team has even more trade chips and Cashman's expertise is trading. So, you know, there you go. Like, you know, I think that we, we have a really unique opportunity to reassess and realize that, you know, the, the, the real window for this team is 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026. Yes. And um, there's just enough time to gather talent for those years um, and trade guys and, and kind of reshape the roster. And I don't think that it's any, any surprise to anyone that we may need a new manager. The lineup needs to have a new configuration. It's not working. And uh, there definitely needs to be more bullpen. And they're deaf because Britain's out. Chapman's been inconsistent. Same thing with Green. And um, Loisaga has been hurt as well. Uh, and then in addition to that, Garrett Cole can't get it done by himself. You need another ace, uh, maybe more than one. Um, so, yeah, I think that Yankee fans need to start looking at things with, a, with, with new eyes because if they do, the team that could be created of what they have at the highest levels and mainly at the big leagues, there's really only two minor leaguers that they're waiting on here, Dominguez and Florial. Florial is going to be up at some point next year. So the risk is a lot lower than, than you know, you'd imagine given how a lot of these guys are in the show. I think that – that's what you got to capitalize around. That's what you got to build around. And, um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll finish up with this one note. Um, the Yankee fans need somebody like a Jeter. I was talking with, you know, the bros, the boys, the boys, you know, the boys, the boys. I was talking with them about this. If the Yankees had someone like Posey or Chris Bryant or, you know, Lindor, Baez, someone like that, um, I think it would really guide the team. It would really pick up the team. And I think right now the team's confidence is guided by their on-field production. It's not guided by how loose they are or how focused they are or how hard they work or how motivated they are. It's very much like I'm going to hit a home run and then I'm going to come back in the dugout and kind of look around like, how did I do that? Or I hope I do that the next time. And you're never going to be able to perform in big moments without that kind of thing. You, you, you just won't, you won't be able to do it. You, you can't be coming in being like, I hope I get a pitch to hit kind of in between you have to be hunting that pitch. You have to be confident that, mm -hmm. oh, man, I'm going to hit anything. I'm going to hit everything. I'm going to hit, try and get me out, you know? And there's just none of that. There's none of that. And that's what's going to happen when the whole team needs mistake pitches to hit homers. The whole team is streaky because they strike out all the time. You know, the whole team, when everybody's healthy on the Yankees, there's not a ton of good base runners right now. So they're station to station, guys. You think you drive in two runs and you drive in one. 
it's, it's demoralizing. Um, and then, of course, the lineup changes every day, which is maddening. Um, and we've and been then over fact- that. That's and, yeah. That's yeah. And then and then wild. the factors, the factors that like are very like apparent to me, like you don't want to have Judge and Stanton too close to each other in the lineup. Okay, they have similar strike zones. They're both really big power hitters. It's a little bit too consistent for a pitcher. You also don't want to have Urshela and Voigt in the same lineup. They have mm-hmm. very similar swings, and they're both the same handedness. Also, you don't want to have Urshela in the same lineup as LeMahieu because both of them are contact hitters who hit everything into the ground. Ideally, they work best with an Odor working next to them because both of them are righties. Odor is a lefty and Odor is fast. So you could put Odor up before one of them and maximize on their singles. There's none of this type of stuff going on. Stanton, he usually needs mistakes. He needs to be in his legs. So he needs to play more in the field and he needs to bat in the first three spots in the lineup all the time. Sanchez, he also needs pitches to hit. Uh, Voight, he needs to be in the first three spots in the lineup because he needs to be more aggressive. If he's more aggressive, he's a better hitter. But you know who they put in the top three spots in the lineup? They put LeMahieu there. Usually lead off. Why? Because he's a contact hitter and he'll get a pitch to hit for contact there. He's an aggressive hitter. He'll hit pitches all over the strike zone. You could put him in the bottom part of the lineup and he'd get lineup protection and he'll do just as good, maybe a little bit better, depending. Um, the first inning, these guys are going to get pitches to hit. And at the bottom of the lineup, you got guys typically have speed. And if they get on base, you're going to want to maximize that speed. Comes back up to the top of the lineup. You got a bunch of hitters like for to like up there to drive them in. You should have your best hitters at the top of the lineup. But that doesn't mean that you want to go with your best of the best hitters in the first three because you're going to get pitches to hit in the first inning. But that's it. That's all I got to say here. It's just a mess to me. The Yankees are a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm surprised that it turned into a heavy Yankees episode, but I think it needed to happen because it's like, it's like although we're optimistic – right now and we're like like not only hopeful but still enjoying the watching the games and everything um it is kind of like yo we got to start thinking about the future like what is next year going to look like what is the next year going to look like what is the year after that going to look like and if this is something that's going to take us three years to make a a roundabout circle change and get back on top so that we can see ourselves in a world series it's like let's go and yep. not just saying the catchphrase. I'm just I'm saying like let's go. Like we need to we need to hit the groundwork and make it happen. So that three, even if it takes up to three years to get the team time back the and equipped. Choices. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's 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 we we gotta start thinking about the work now and like the you know the manager and everyone um everyone involved like I, the whole team needs to sit down and we and they need to start making the right choices so that the main name brand the Yankees like the the team as a whole can see themselves circle back to what they used to be in around two to three years time it's like it 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 just needs to happen the groundwork needs to happen oddly enough i think they're still going to be able to compete next year Mm -hmm. and and be a really good team next year um but when i say like the window is probably 2023 that's because that's when they're going to be at their best it's Mm going to start Mm -hmm. in the second half of 2023 and it's going to end at around 20 26 2027 mm-hmm. and that's going to be the heart of the window and there's always ways of extending a window but there you go 
Yeah. Well, that's it for this one. Don't forget to drop in the bio, submit your questions. Remember, every Sunday is a live stream. Let's go. Let's go. Stay tuned. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We'll see you next <laughs> we'll time. We'll see you then. <laughs>